Well, we're on this journey, and in, in the book of Exodus, we're taking this journey with Israel out of the land of Egypt, and they're moving through this wilderness experience, and in the process, they're doing more than just moving toward the promised land. They're actually encountering God along the way. You know, sometimes in our Christian life, we think it's just about moving in this journey of life, and somehow we kind of accumulate life's things. We experience joy and happiness. We get homes and retirement, and we go on vacations and all of those other things, and somehow we think that kind of is the sum of what it means to be walking with God and loving God in the process. But do you ever think that what God is doing is He's preparing you now for then? That this journey is not really as much about now as it is about then. It's about walking with God and living with God in eternity. So in this wilderness journey, there's some things that we've been bringing to the forefront that are good reminders for us, and one of them is this. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not know that it's going on. Sometimes life is so miraculous that it becomes common. This past week, we were invited to be at a a luncheon with the deputy general for a foreign policy for Israel and with a consulate general for Israel. And I'm sitting there just kind of caught up listening to him, and I, I go over and I introduce myself to him, and, and, I say, and he's the former ambassador from Israel to the United States. And I said to him, uh, you know, we're going to do this prophecy conference in the fall and love to have you come speak, and he said, I'd love to do that. And then I turned to the, to the other guy, the, the consulate, and I said, you know, would you ever want to be involved? He said, I'd love to do that. And I was sitting there thinking about all that God has been doing in our life, and I thought about just that little bitty thing that almost came just kind of naturally was a miracle. And then today, uh, this morning, a lady walked up to me and said, I know you, you have an office down at the local Starbucks, and you're pretty good with that, but I have an office, and it's a three-office suite, and, and uh, actually, you know, um, it's paid for through December. Would you like to just use it for Influence Church? It'll cost you nothing. And, and those are just a few of the things. I mean, sometimes we sit down and we kind of begin to recount what God is doing and realize, realize God is doing a lot more than you think. So you can be in the middle of a miracle and take it for granted. The other thing is warriors are created in the wilderness. You know, what is it that makes us strong for God and what is it that makes us live for God? It's not easy living. It's not when everything goes our way. It's when we have a stark contrast between simplicity and complexity and we see God in the middle of that. So sometimes we curse the darkness and we curse the complexity not realizing it's that that brings us into the realization of who God really is. The other thing is what you call bitter, God calls sweet. You look at your life and you see some things about it and you go, I don't like this part of my life. And goes, God says, I love that part of your life. Because it's that part of your life that makes me, makes me understand who you are and you to understand who I am. Also, you see God in the wilderness. It's the contrasts of life that do make a difference. Because with God, you're always off the map. Do you ever really know where God is going? I mean, I tell you the truth. I've walked with God many years, and sometimes I go, God, I don't know what you're up to. I don't know where you're going. I don't know where it's going to lead. And I get frustrated with that, and I want to figure it out, and I want a map. I want a text from God. Phil, this is what I'm up to. Oh, okay, I can handle that. I'm not sure I can handle all that God is up to in my life, though. Maybe that's why he doesn't do it. 
And this last one I want to give you is the, the cloud of witnesses stand to their feet. I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was kind of telling him about some of the things that have been going on and some of the miracles. And, you know, I mean, most church starts don't start with like 650 people. You know, and we were doing the calculations on how many square feet per kid we had in the nursery this morning. And I'm telling you what, it was like being in the womb. I mean, you put 35 kids in that room back there, and you got like six square feet per kid. And you look at that and I go, but it's working. And somehow God is doing something. You know, and the college ministry started off with 22 college students. That's not bad. And it wasn't even, they didn't even put the invite out. It was simply, we're going to start a college ministry, we're going to get a few prayer leaders together, and they had 22 prayer leaders. I don't know how this is working. God's just doing something. But my buddy said, let me tell you what's going on. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 that there's this great cloud of witnesses of people who've gone on before us in the faith. And he said, right now, the great cloud of witnesses are standing to their feet. They're looking to see what's going to happen because you're birthing a church. And sometimes we take that for granted. Open your Bibles to Exodus 17. I'm going to take you on this journey with Moses. And listen to what he says beginning in verse 8, because the climate begins to change now for the Israelites as they move into the wilderness, deeper and deeper in, because they encounter for the first time an enemy they're going to have to fight. And we're going to see introduced to us for the first time one named Joshua. But look what it says in verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. A simple statement. We could read it over and over again and not really catch what's going on. For the first time, they're in a battle. You know when the battle begins for you as a Christian? When you become a Christian. Because all of a sudden, the life of God that's in you is now at enmity with the world that you live in. And you find yourself going, well, it was so simple to be unchristian, to be not saved, because my life just kind of made sense. And now all of a sudden, why is the conflict? Because there's two kingdoms competing for your attention. And the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness are both competing for your attention. And it goes on here to say that Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men and go out and fight Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Do you notice he said, Choose some men? Don't choose them all. We don't need all the men to come and fight. We just need some men. We need men with the face of a warrior. We need men who are willing to fight. And when I see that, you know the first thing that comes to my mind? You think the other guys were bothered by that? They're probably going, yeah, let them go. Amalek, we've been slaves in Egypt. Why would we want to go fight now? So he says, choose some men. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. And Moses Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. Moses, Aaron, and Hur. How'd you like to be a guy with a name Hur? I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, what, what's your name, Hur? Oh, yeah, for real funny. You can almost hear the jokes. Yeah, you got a brother named She? Hur, are you kidding? Well, anyway, uh, my wife said, that wasn't a very good joke. I said, well, it worked. Worked a little bit, maybe. Um, so it was, uh, it says that when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed when he let down his hand Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. They took a stone, put it under him. He sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. 
every battle you're going to fight in life, you're going to win by the edge of the sword. I don't mean the literal edge of the sword. I mean the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Because every battle ultimately is going to be a spiritual battle. You might, you might break it down and think it's physical, but it's ultimately a spiritual battle. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in the book. Recount it for the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under the heaven. And Moses built an altar and he called the name of it, The Lord is my banner. For he said, The Lord has sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So I want you to see the next stage in this journey that we're on. Because now it moves from moving through the wilderness, God providing, and so it begins, the battle with Amalek. I want to talk to you a little bit about spiritual conflicts in your life. When do they occur? Here's the first thing. When you advance into enemy territory, expect a conflict to occur in your life. You begin to take a stand, moms and dads, for your kids, expect conflict to occur. Students, when they take a stand for Christ, expect conflict to occur. When you take a stand for Jesus Christ somewhere, expect a conflict to occur. Also, when the matter is life and death, you can expect a conflict to occur. You see, ultimately, what really matters is your eternal soul. Remember what Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and does what? Forfeits his soul. What would you give in exchange for your soul? Would you take all the riches of the world and say, I'll give you this, but you can have my soul and you can do whatever you want with my eternal soul? You'd be crazy to do that. Also, when you seek to restore that which has been lost, experience a conflict. You ever been in conflict with someone, maybe a spouse, a friend? Try to restore it. Feel the conflict that begins to develop in that situation. You know why? Because it's a spiritual battle going on. That's why. But how about this one? When you least expect it. When you least expect a conflict, a conflict comes. Have you ever said something like this? Oh, God, why do you have to bring it now? Why do I have to go through a conflict now? Why can't I go through it later? Or how about the people that say, you know, you tell them the bad stuff you're going through. Well, I went through this and I went through that. And they look at you with authority. And they say, you know, bad things always come in three. I go, why would you have to say that? Now I'm looking for one more bad thing to come before I can get this over with. Why couldn't you say, bad things come in twos? You're done. Everything's good now. When I looked into this passage here, I realized not everyone fought. You see, God only selected out some men as Joshua went out and picked them. Only some were chosen for battle. But what about the rest? What were they doing? And I always like to look into the Bible and think about the rest of the story. Well, you know, there were some that were back there cooking meals. There were some that were watching children. There were some that were probably praying. There were some that maybe were making weapons. But everyone had a part. And you know, to be a part of the kingdom, to be a part of the church, we all have to do our part. We have to be engaged in some dimension of what God is up to. There's some people that are probably caring for the wounded. Some people were just praying that they didn't get selected to go into the battle. Who knows what was going on? The other thing I noticed about this is what God said, what Moses said. He said, tomorrow we will go out to battle. Now, the enemy's over there. Why wouldn't you go out tonight? Have you ever noticed how guys love to rush into the battle? Yeah, let's go get them. We can take them. We'll take them right now. 
Why wait to go into battle? And I think because tomorrow is soon enough. You see, sometimes we're too tired. Sometimes we're too weary. Sometimes we're not spiritually prepared for a battle. And you have to stop and ask yourself, when you're in the middle of the conflict and you're weary and, and things are breaking down in your life, ask yourself this, am I really ready for the conflict? I think you remember, if you were here last week, I was telling you about my camping story, and if you weren't, I just want to go on record as saying I still hate camping. I don't want to go camping, and I told a story about camping. Well, I had a, I had a friend named Gary, and Gary loved to camp, and Gary loved, was, he was just a daredevil. I mean, Gary actually died in a helicopter crash, which I'm sure he was happy about. He was just kind of one of those guys that everything in his life was on the edge, and if he was going down, he wanted to go down on the edge. So one night we're up camping, and Gary says, it's dark out in the mountains of Colorado, and he goes, let's just go for a walk in the dark. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking this is a stupid idea. I mean, bad things are lurking in the woods, you know, bears and things, and then, and then you see eyeballs, and you... You, that's all you see. They're just two glaring eyeballs. And you just think, no, this is not good. And I go, look, there's eyeballs. He goes, they're small. Look how narrow they are. No, it's a, it's a narrow eyeballed bear. I mean, there's something wrong here. So we're walking along, and we hear a chain dangling. Now, that's not a good thing in the, in the wilderness. You know, you're out there in the woods, and you hear something. It sounds, And then you'd stop, and the clanking of that chain would stop. I'm ready to die on the inside just telling you the story right now. And we'd walk along, and I would hear the clank. And i go, Gary, did you hear that? And he goes, no, I don't hear it. I go, no, listen. And we're walking. he goes, go, yeah, I do hear it. I said, let's walk a little faster. All right? We're walking along, and I'm just, my heart's beating faster and faster. And I'm telling you, it was, it was one of those moments where you just think to yourself, an average man would have died in a situation like this. How I survived, I don't know. And we're going along, we're walking faster and faster. And he goes, wait a minute. I think I figured it out. Because all I can think of, it's an animal that, with three legs that was caught in a trap, dragging the chain. Mad, angry, is convinced we did it. And he lifts up his foot and he goes like this. And it's a zipper on his boot. I could have killed him. But if I'd never gone camping, I'd have never had that experience. You see, sometimes God puts you in situations where you, you feel those kind of things happening in your life. You don't know what to do with them, but God has a remedy. It'll come. The other thing I want you to see in this passage is something I never saw before. It's the principle of the three. Notice what happens here. There's, Moses has three men at his side. He has Aaron, Hur, and Joshua. If you study the ministry of Jesus, guess what he had? Oh, he had the 12, but he had an inner circle. Peter, James, and John. When God wants to highlight in the Old Testament, really the men that were going to make a difference in his kingdom, he talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When God wants you to understand what you need in your life, he talks about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you go back and think about it, it was, uh, if, we, if we look at Joshua, he was the general, he was the warrior. And guess what? In the ministry of Jesus, that was Peter. He was the warrior. He was the general that was ready for a fight. There was Aaron. He was the priest. Every man needs a warrior in his life. Every man needs a priest in his life. And then there was her, and he was the man who meant enlighten or light. He was like uh, the wisdom that would come in, the counsel that would come in. And we need a warrior in our life, and we, we need a priest in our life to talk to us about God. What does it mean? What's God doing in your life? And we need someone with wisdom to pour 
into our life. When you think about your life and you think about this conflict we're in, it's God's power, not yours. I got no power, really. It all comes from God. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why do you think it tells you to humble yourself? Because it doesn't come naturally. You don't wake up humble. You don't go through life humble. You might feel insignificant. You might feel devalued. But humility is something that comes from God. And we have to come before God and say, God, you humble me. I don't want to exalt myself. Will you humble me? And it says here, the next phrase, he says, I can't exalt you until you humble yourself. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that in due season I will exalt you. You see, God has a spiritual promotion for you. God has something he wants to do for you, but first he has to take you down this road of humility. And then he says, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. You ever held on to a care? I mean, like, just imagine if this is something that bothers you, and, you care, and this Bible's a symbol of that, and you hold on to it. And you say, you know, I know God would take it, and I know I should give it to him, but no, I'm going to hold on to it. I might even embrace it. God says, no, just release it. Cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares. And then it's an interesting switch that happens here. Notice what it says. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In the context of humility and God doing something in your life, he says, you've got to be careful now. Because if you're not careful, the enemy, the adversary, is going to devour you. You know, you know, when you think about this roaring lion here, that, that sounds a little frightening, doesn't it? But, you know, if you study this whole idea, a roaring lion is the old lion in the pack who roars, simply raises his voice, so you don't run that direction. You run the opposite direction into the mouth of the young lions who will devour you. You see, sometimes where you think the real problem is is not where the real problem is. And you run away from what you think the problem is, and you run right into the trap of the enemy. And God wants us to have wisdom in all of this. Let me show you also the second, the twofold nature of the battle. Because this battle is not simple, but it's based on two things tactical and strategic. You see, there's this tactical side of it where Joshua's got to get soldiers. He's got to get them down there on the ground. But that was only secondary to the strategic. They had to have, the, had to have Moses up on the hill. So there's a physical and a spiritual dimension. Guess which comes first? The spiritual always comes first. Because the devil, you know, he is a, he's an opportunist. He wants to take advantage of you. But you have, to, you have to get up on the hill and have a strategic advantage in your life. Why do you think Jesus was crucified on Calvary's hill? It was a reminder of a strategic advantage for all the world to see, to look up and to understand something of what God was doing. But you see, what Satan does is he waits until you're tired. He waits until you're weary. He waits until you have a setback. And the first thing he brings into your life is what? Fear. Anybody ever been afraid? Well, you don't want to admit it, right? Well, I've already given you the camping story, but what does fear stand for? You know, I like this little acrostic of for fear. And it's uh, fear stands for false, 
evidence that appears, what's the last word? Real. And I can live my life operating as though something's true when it's not true at all. False evidence that appears real. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Or where did it come from? He's also telling us there is a spirit of fear that exists in our world. When I was sitting down there and listening to these, these, these officials from Israel talk about the nation of Israel, I saw something maybe others didn't see. I saw fear. I saw fear from a nation that realized it's only been 60-plus years to when they were birthed, and they had been on the run for 2,500 years. A nation that faces Iran that has developed that that program 70% all the way, 70% toward weapon grade. And I realize there's fear there because they find themselves in a world, and yet I also saw the other side of it, what God is doing. God is doing, and fear is a spirit, but it says this, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. He says that's what the Holy Spirit of God brings to us. So God tells us there's a spirit of fear, but it's not from God. God gives us his Holy Spirit. Why? So you can have power and love and a sound mind. So when fear comes to you, what do you say? Wait a minute. Let me, let me, which dimension of what God has given do I need to apply? Love, power, or a sound mind? I have to think about it because while Satan is an opportunist, guess who God is? He is a brilliant strategist. And there are three strategic access points in your life. You need to mark these down because these are really, really important. The enemy will try to gain entrance into your life in one or more of these three areas. The first one's religion. Satan inspires religion so that we focus on rules, formulas, and laws to control our behavior. I love telling people that I hate religion. They look at me like, well, how can you hate religion? You're a pastor. No, I hate religion. I love Jesus, but I hate religion. Because religion is always about controlling behavior. And if you fall, spirit, fall prey to a religious spirit or an attitude, you're powerless against spiritual forces. You know why? Because religion becomes your confidence and not God. People say, well, you know, do you believe in Jesus? And you'll hear people say, well, I'm, and then they'll name some denomination. Well, what does that mean? I promise you this, when we get to heaven, we won't have T-shirts that say Presbyterian, Baptist, Assembly of God, or anything else. It's not concerned with that. Second thing is a natural weakness in your life. First thing is religion. Second thing is a natural weakness in your life. You see, there are, there's a tendency in every person's life in this room tonight to move in an area of weakness, and that's where Satan is going to grab you. It might be an area where you have repeatedly sinned and you've opened up an avenue for opportunity in God, for God to, to be prevented at working in your life, and Satan's opportunity comes in in that very area. But what is the weakness you have? Hebrews calls it a besetting sin. It's something you just keep repeating, and you come back to God, and you go, God, I don't know why I keep doing this. Why is this my problem? It's a weakness. Third thing is a generational sin. You know, when you read something like Amalek, you have to ask yourself, well, who are these guys? 
Who was Amalek and who are the Amalekites? What's their heritage? And if you trace their heritage, you go back to there were two guys, two brothers named Jacob and Esau. And Esau, you know what he did? He was hungry one day. Jacob came along, and Jacob was always looking to get the spiritual advantage. And he said, uh, hey, give me some of that, that red stuff you're cooking over there. He had a pot of chili, I suppose, cooking up. And he, give me some of that red stuff there. He said, sell me your birthright. He said, well, I don't really care about the birthright. Fine, and he sold him his birthright. He was the firstborn, and he had the right to spiritual access in his family. And guess what? You know what generational sin happens? Is somewhere along the line in our family, there are people who have sold out certain dimensions of our, of our spiritual birthright. Maybe some of you, you're selling out a birthright. You're saying, I really don't care about the things of God. And you know what that does? Is it opens up not just a problem for you, but for generations to come. Because they see what's modeled in your life. They see how you're living out your life, and they think, well, you know, what difference does it really make then? I mean, can't I just ask God's forgiveness and move on? God's forgiveness is instantaneous. But remember, you can't restore all the things you forfeit in your life from, from a spiritual advantage. There's some things that just don't come back. There are opportunities that just don't come back. There are avenues that just don't come back. And you have to guard yourself day in and day out because you might be giving up that which is not only valuable to you, but to your children and your children's children. Let me show you the third thing, and that's the, the power of a banner. You know where power is found? When you recount the deeds of God. Let me ask you something. Has God, just think about it for a moment, has God done something great in your life in the last year? I mean, hopefully the last week or the last day, right? Has God done something great in your life? You probably all kind of just nod your head yes or no. No, he's not doing anything. If he's done something great, here's what I want you to do. And I want you to do it on the count of three. We're all going to do it together. I want you to shout out what God has done. Nobody's going to hear you exactly what it is. You can even make something up if you want. You can't think of one right now. But just shout it out right now. One, two, three. Oh, that wasn't very good. Let's try it again. One, two, three. What happens if you continually do that throughout your day? How different does this sound? You know, how's, how's life going for you? Well, it's not going really well. You know, my life isn't working well, and I don't know, I haven't seen God show up, and God isn't teaching me anything of his word of God. And I mean, does that, is that invigorate you? Or how about this one? You know, I can't believe all that God is doing in my life, and, you know, I just expect God's going to do something tomorrow. You see, we attract life or we attract death in our life. The power is when you recount the works of God. Listen to what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24. Fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. Now listen to this. Consider what great things he has done for you. Have you considered what great things God has done for you? How he's delivered you, how he's saved you, how he's loved you? There's also something in this text that tells us there's no place for the enemies of God. He talks about Amalek. He said, I'm going to blot Amalek out. You know why? Because there's no place in your heart for the enemies that bring you down. You know why, you know why Amalek was so hated in Scripture? Let me read it to you. It's Deuteronomy 25. Just write it down. Deuteronomy 25, 17 and 18. Listen to what God says. Remember what Amalek did when you were on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. 
how he met you on the way, and he attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers, when you were tired and weary, and, and they did not fear God. So here comes Israel out of Egypt, and the old, and the feeble, and the tired, and the little children are at the back. And Amalek comes up behind, and he begins to take them out one by one, choosing those who cannot defend themselves. And God says, those kind of enemies need to be out of your life. What are the enemies that come up behind you when you're tired and you're weary and you're weak and they discourage you and you cause you to lose hope? God says, blot them out of your life. And then establish a spiritual foundation. Did you notice what, what Moses did? He built an altar. An altar is a symbol of what God has done, where you sacrifice unto God. And then he said, and he lifted up the banner. Isaiah 59, 19 says, so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west, his glory from the rising of the sun, when the enemy comes in like a flood, lift up a banner. See, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up, will lift up a standard against him, against the enemy. The Lord is to be our rallying point. You know what happens when you just mention the name of Jesus to someone? Have you ever noticed how they change? And I don't mean the context of a curse word. I mean, you're standing in line at Starbucks and you just say something like, uh, oh, Jesus Christ is, uh, has really done some great things for me lately. And you'll see people start to turn around. Now, if you say it kind of like they do on television, you know, Jesus is, uh, you know, then you get the other kind of response. Like, oh, no, a weirdo. You know, like TBN-ish kind of stuff. Jesus. It's kind of fun to do, actually. You just kind of get in line and just say, uh, hey, you know, have you heard about Jesus lately? And you know, they're kind of Christianese, and uh, you get a different response altogether. But when you lift up his name, you know, when, you know when, you, when you, the rallying point for our life is a cross. You know, and I wear a cross around my neck. For a long time, I didn't because I thought, ah, everybody wears a cross, and it's kind of jewelry. And, and then I realized it was a rallying point. I realized that people ask about it. Some people want to know, is that jewelry or is that something more than that? It's a rallying point because it's a symbol of, of why we come together. Because we believe Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. He defeated death at the cross. The Lord is to be our rallying point. He is the one who draws us together, and it's in his name that we proclaim his fame. When you simply mention his name, his presence is magnified. His presence shows up. Just say the name of Jesus to yourself and see what begins to happen in your life. It's different than other names. Because there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. That God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father that he is Lord. There's something different about that name. Speak his name. It's a rallying point. Psalm chapter 60, verses 4 and 5 says this, You have given a banner to those who fear you. My banner is Jesus, just simply Jesus, that it may dis be displayed because of the truth. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11, it says, I tell you, many will come from the east and come from the west and will sit at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. You know why? Because of Jesus. He is the rallying point. 
Psalm 20, in verses, verse 5 says, We will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all of your petitions. The rallying point is Jesus. Religion really doesn't work. Just try Jesus and see what happens. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. Each step of the journey that you're on is going to require a new strategy. Don't think that you can operate the way you did yesterday. That strategy has been run down. It's gone. You need a new strategy for tomorrow. And secondly, celebrate the victories that you have in God every day. Recount it. In fact, it tells us there in, in, uh, in the book of Exodus that they had a book of remembrance to write down the things. Start writing down what God is doing in your life. See what God is up to in your life. Tammy said today she was ran down to the grocery store and someone chased her down, husband and wife, and said, you can't believe what has happened through your ministry. And began to talk about that. And here's my email, and, and I want to be involved in Bible study. And how does that happen? You see, God's doing something. God's bringing people together. College ministry last week. Guy found Christ the night before. They thought they were just going to talk about what was kind of introduced themselves, and this guy started to talk about how, how he found Christ. Recount what God is doing in your life and those around you. See what God is up to. Let's pray together. Father, as we pray, we ask God that you would just uh, guide us and lead us in that path that you have for us, God. Father, we know that without you, we can do nothing and of really eternal significance. And so we pray, God, as we study the Word of God, as we become um, really strong in your name and in your power, that we can allow the cross and we, Jesus, to be our rallying point, Father, that we might live for you faithfully. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.